Hey there, and welcome to Yes, a Stripper Podcast. On this podcast, we'll discuss how classifying each other as people and workers is dangerous to society and marginalized groups of people. We'll also talk about the climate in and outside of the strip clubs and all of the amazing things that strippers do. And of course, we'll talk about all of the things in between. I'm your queen, A.M. Davies, and this is Yes, a Stripper Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Yes, a Stripper Podcast. I want to give a shout out to my friend, Emily Keith. Emily uh, sent me this really cute t-shirt that I'm wearing right now, um, and it says Empower across it. Emily has a brand called Healing Art Society, and she makes things like coffee tables and like keychains and necklaces and earrings and t-shirts um, and it's all unique hand designed stuff um, and it's just incredible and so I want to give a shout out and say thank you to Emily Keats for sending me this really dope shirt that says empower across it and empower indeed my friends um, that is something that uh, is you know, I feel a rise in, in today's world. Although shit is cray AF, right? It's fucking nutty as fuck what's going on out in the world. However, at the same time, I'm noticing that more people are becoming empowered to uh, step up and make a difference in their community and make a difference in, in their lives. Um, and our, our guest today uh, is Valerie Stunning. And she's someone who not only is she herself empowered, but she empowers so many other people out there, so many other sex workers and so many other, I'm just going to say it, so many other whores out there, women that want to be a whore, want to be a slut, like women like Valerie Stunning truly do empower women like me, women like me who need, who need to hear other voices. And then there's even women not like me, but that need to be empowered, women that need to find their voice. And they find it through people like Valerie Stunning, through people who, who just have the need to speak about what's going on and, and how things can be different and imagining a new world. And, and through people like Valerie, just through existing, they empower hundreds, thousands of people um, to dream and, and to desire and actively work for a new way of being in a new life in a world where sex workers and women are cast aside, put away, told to be quiet. You don't belong here. Um, and so we need to maintain our voice and we need more, we need people, um, to help us through continuing to fight for our fucking rights, man, believe it or not. After all this time, we still need to fight. So it was actually really extremely cathartic talking with Valerie as well. I think we found a lot of uh, similar ideals um, throughout our conversation. You know, we, we think very similarly, which isn't surprising at all. Um, a lot of sex workers these days feel very similarly in what's going on in the world and what's going on with labor and, and what's going on with the stigma, man. I'm so tired of it. Um, so yeah, it was really great. We actually talked a little bit longer than I normally talk uh, to guests on this show, but um, you know, it was worth it, man. So I, I hope that you enjoy and, and truly listen to 
uh, what this multifaceted, extremely intelligent, thoughtful creature has to say. Um, so yeah, I'm just gonna let you get to it. So go on and enjoy listening and uh, yeah, talk to you later. I'd like to welcome to Yes, a Stripper podcast, our next guest, Valerie Stunning. Hi, Valerie. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, this is actually a dream come true. So thank you so much for being here. Um, I've wanted to have you on this podcast for a while, actually. So I'm so glad that this worked out and that you're here with me. So thank you. It's an honor. I'm stoked. So, um, Valerie, a lot of people know who you are, but for those that don't know who you are, let's get to know you. Um, so where are you calling, where are we talking from today? Where, where do you live? What's going on with you? I live in Las Vegas and we're talking from my couch. <laughs> surrounded by all my white fluffy pillows because that's where I feel most at home most at ease yeah yeah um so yeah so you you're you're in Vegas right is that what you said yeah yeah um you dance for Mecca yeah see for some reason I thought you were in New York a lot mm. see I'm from New Jersey and New York gotcha yeah, and before Vegas was my home base, New York was the last home base I had. And in, in between all that was a bunch of traveling and hobo stripper life. Oh, so you were a traveling stripper for a minute? Yeah, yeah for many years. Oh, for, so how long have you been stripping total? Uh, up until the pandemic, it, I just hit my nine-year anniversary. Lovely. Yes. Yeah. So you got to dance in, in New York, New Jersey, Las Vegas. Where else have you danced? Uh, I actually didn't dance in New Jersey, but oh. Jersey was the first strip club I worked at as a cocktail waitress when I was like 19. Nice. Yeah. Do you think that that job as a cocktail waitress like kind of gave you the spark to want to be a stripper? Uh, I, I would love to say yes. I think it, it's a, it's a multi, uh, it's a nuanced answer. So yes, I got to see a lot of the, the freedom that stripping allowed the other, you know, the women that I witnessed doing the job. But at that point I was, I was just like bogged down with a whole lot of phorphobia and not ready to admit that I too like could or wanted to do the job. And I remember reading old journal entries. It's kind of crazy. I'm like thinking like at that time, just having very strong opinions of feeling, you know, this, this separation from my job and what they were doing. And I'm not proud to admit that, but I think it's important in like my journey overall to kind of like be true to that response. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. And like, and I'm, yeah, you said, I'm not proud to admit that. Um, I actually think it's something to be really proud of that you overcame your horror phobia that you, you know, I, cause I, I'm dealing with the same thing that I can't overcame mine and I feel guilty about it, but I want to share about it because so many of us have been conditioned to be horror phobic. It's like not our fault basically. Um, yeah. And that, that was actually, um, that, that's, I'm glad that you brought that up because I'd really love to hear more about that. Like, when, like, what was your horror phobia like when you were in it? 
and then how like what were some significant things that happened to sort of get you out of that state of being those are really great questions uh i would say i would say um you know i i grew up in the 90s and dealt with a lot of like the slut shaming that comes along with you know being a female in your fucking youth, right? And then uh, between that and always being like this, I feel like I've always had this very strong personality and this very strong sexual energy to me. And because I was like slut shamed a lot, whether by peers or my mother or, you know, boyfriends I had at the time, it was just like, okay, well, by the time I started working in a sexual environment like a strip club right my I was just like I feel like that was really internalized and so I needed to create this separation to prove to myself that I was still a quote-unquote good girl and that there was like nothing like bad about me because I was somehow different because I wasn't doing that job and so I I feel like at that time that's that's how it was like internalized when I was cocktailing but deep down, I was like jealous. I I thought it was rad. There were so many moments like that I can remember stopping, you know, in the middle of the room, like I still did up until COVID, to like appreciate what was happening on the stage and the, this transaction between the women there and the men there, and and sensing that there was power behind that. But I just didn't have the language or the the self-reflection you know or the life lessons to really kind of put those things together but i'll tell you what there's one there's one stripper who totally influenced probably changed my life and she and i maybe we exchanged like three or four words like but i remember just one day she was cashing out and it was part of my job too to like help cash out the girls at the end of the night and she's like, okay, I'll see you in a few months. I'm, I'm going to take off and go traveling now. And I was like, what do you mean? Where are you going? She's like, oh, I, you know, I just saved this whole, like, like a shit ton of money. I'm going to go backpack, like, through South America. And that was, like, the first light bulb in my mind, like, that went off, being like, holy shit. Like, that is so empowering. I was, like, raised in New Jersey, working at this, like, highway side strip club in New Jersey had never left the East Coast at that point and it was such a far-fetched concept to be like wow you can be by yourself and a woman and young and and have this freedom and go do the thing you know that you want to do and that this job gave her that and that was I think that really like lodged itself in my mind because seven years after that I went and did the same exact thing right that was so cool and you were younger when you had that experience because you were bartending at like 19 right yeah Yeah, I was cocktailing uh because it was like a BYO strip sure okay yeah you said that you worked in a side a highway side strip club those I gotta tell you like because my my family lives in Pennsylvania so I get to go to the east coast and there's like a lot of countryside highway driving that's done out there and I see these strip clubs on the side of the highway and I'm so incredibly curious I've never been inside um can you tell us what it's like comparatively to like a strip club in the city 
Ooh. Um, well, the place that I worked at, it's no longer there. And it was called, I think it was called Lace. Uh, and it, it might be related to the one in the city. I'm not sure. But, I mean, it had all the trappings that, like, a good titty bar has. You know, the black lights and <laughs> the little little comfy chairs around the stage. Uh, but it was quite small. And, like I said, it was a BYO. So, for me, cocktailing was, like, serving $20 orange juices and, you know, plastic cups for people's bottles of vodka and things like that. Yeah. But, um, I don't know, I guess. Like, is the clientele different? Yeah, yeah, the clientele and also maybe uh, the management. Uh, and, and then again, I was coming, I'm coming at it from, like, the perspective then of a cocktail waitress. But I felt like the management wasn't as, um, just wasn't as scummy as like some of the bigger city like clubs could be, you know, it was a lot more mom and pop feeling. Yeah. Well, I would also imagine that their overhead is a lot lower, you mm. know, so they don't need to steal as much from their workers there probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, this industry just systematically relies on stealing money from strippers in order for them to keep their doors open. Um, which is something that, like, I know that is also on your radar. Um, you know, you, I know that you really love being a stripper, as did I, but you definitely, because, I, you know, I stalk you. I pay attention to what you write um, a lot, actually. You're a genius writer, so thank you so much for the things that you share. Um, but, yeah, I know that, you know, you see issues with our industry as well, um, particularly with our labor rights. Um, you know, what, can you speak to that? Yeah, I mean, um, there's so much, there's so much to unpack there, right? Uh, but I guess, I guess from, from my perspective, uh, after a few years of doing the job, I didn't really start writing about what I was witnessing or the connections I was making to like how fucked patriarchal capitalism is and then how it translates to what happens in the club and because yes the club is this microcosm of the world but it almost it almost feels like it's even more like saturated of a version of what happens in the club sometimes especially when it comes to things like extortion and intimidation and I I didn't really start writing about that until I was like what three almost four years into the job uh, and I think it, it took a long time for me to, to really admit that all of that was weighing on me and it was getting me to a point of like, like severe burnout and I was depressed and I was dealing with isolation and I didn't know how to really articulate what I was feeling because I had no other stripper friends. I was going to work and surrounded by all these women all the time and none of them I really knew outside the club except for Jack, but she lives 3,000 miles away. <laughs> And, and then another friend or two that I had made, like when I was living overseas, but no real sense of community. And it just got me thinking, like, what a bummer, like, cause there's so many moments when I feel empowered because I get to live a life that I choose because of the freedom this allows me. Yet here I am depressed and alone. And I don't feel like I have anybody I could fucking talk to about it. And that sucks. And and so, yeah, that's why that's why I started to just kind of write about it. Uh, 
But yeah, I think ultimately there's so, there's so, it's so nuanced. Um, so like what actually causes it, right? Like how, how these men in positions of power feel like they can get away with the shit they get away with. And some of, so much of it comes from stigma, right? And the people who do the job as a stripper don't feel like they have a place that they can go to safely talk about what's happening or feel like anybody's on their side uh, because the job is stigmatized and because it's scary and it's often dangerous. Um, there's that. And then, and then also like the lack of pride that a lot of us don't have for doing this job and being successful at it because it's again, stigmatized and, and that's like trash. And, and I think for me, that was really like a wake up call to be like, man, here I am working a job that's really fucking hard. And I'm, you know, in my definition of success, I felt like I was at that time and even up until I retired or was forced into retirement, let's say, <laughs> uh, that I was really successful at it because I was able to pay my bills and put food on my table and do the things I wanted to do. And I grew up in a household where that wasn't even like, like even thinking about leaving the country and traveling the world was like far removed, you know? Uh, so I felt like, damn, that should be something I, I, I should be proud of. And yet I'm not really told that I should. And in fact, I feel like most of the people I spend my time around, even people who seemingly care about me, right? I feel like I have to hide it or downplay it or defend it all the time. And, and that got me like, that got me motivated to just be like, no, fuck that. Like, look at what it takes to actually do this. Look at how successful we can be. A lot of us coming from places of like, you know, just like not having shit and then being able to finally like do something that like allows us to have shit. And, and I think that's important to celebrate. Yeah. And that's, and that's why, and that's like why I started talking about it and what I've always wanted to like champion is that there's a lot of people like, and I, and I consider this a blessing and I'm sorry if I'm rambling. No, you're great. Keep going. But, <laughs> but one of the things that I really, um, I'm, I'm really, I guess, uh, moved by like from my nine years of doing this job is learning how many of us have these interconnected stories? How many of us, like, you know, we all have different stories and we all have, you know, come from different places of privilege and some from no privilege at all. However, I, I think there's so, there's so much that connects us. A lot of us have been through so much shit before even doing this job and have survived so much. And it's what makes us good at it. And, and there's almost like, a, I don't want to say sisterhood for sounding cheesy, but it kind of feels like that. Even if you aren't rah-rah, we're all friends at the club, you still have this kind of bond knowing that like, I'm a fucking bad bitch who's gone through a lot and I'm holding shit down just by being here. And I see that in you and that solidarity is important. And I, I feel like I really got that from the club and like feeling better about the things I had survived and been through because I sensed that in others. Yeah. I mean, you just said so many amazing things in that whole piece there. And 
something that really just stood out, well, a couple of things. One is that, um, that we stigmatize ourselves um, and each other to a degree. Um, and I think that, yeah, you're right. That is a lot of why like we're not talking about labor issues because I feel like a lot, you know, something that I hear a lot in my, in my work trying to organize and unionizing is um, if you don't like it, don't be here then. Like if you have complaints, then don't do it. And um, it makes, it makes me what, how that occurs to me is that um, this is like, basically this is the job, shut your mouth and do it because this is the best it's going to be for us, you know, as if we don't deserve better. That's how that statement occurs for me that we, we, you and I don't deserve better. So shut the fuck up when someone says, if you don't like it, then don't. And that's coming from other dancers sometimes. I'm not speaking. I mean, of course, management says that, of course, but these are, you know, there are just some of us that are so like married to the way things currently are. Um, and I think that that does stem from, like I mentioned earlier, the conditioning that women who do this work don't really deserve much better. And I think that for me, for a while, I agreed with that, you know, and then I, then I woke up and I was like, no, no, <laughs> just because it's this way doesn't mean it has to continue to be this way. Yeah. Um, and another thing that you said was at the end, which I can't remember now, um, is you said so many wonderful things. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on, on any of that that I just rambled about? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I feel it's scary for a lot of people who who do this job to like want to hope for better if that makes sense it is very scary yeah because that that takes risk that that takes mobilizing and participating and really um putting yourself out there and there's so many of us who just either don't have that privilege because there, there is privilege behind being able to organize you know and taking the time yeah. to kind of show up and like fight for this shit because you put yourself out there and you never know who's going to be knocking on your fucking door, like telling you to shut your mouth, you know? About it. Yeah. It's something that I think about all the time. Yeah. And so, uh, I think sometimes it, it could be easier to just try to keep your head down and go, this is the way it is. And, and I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't blame anybody for that, but that at the same time, it, it's, it's very defeating and, it, and it's yeah. hard to kind of, it's hard to get uh, mass amounts of people on board who might feel like alignment to what you're championing and what you're talking about and the things you want to see like different. I see you as like a collective you. Um, but at the same time, yeah, there's so many people, right? Like this is a thing. Uh, some of my, my dearest friends who are in the industry, we have this conversation often about Man, sometimes you just get to a point because it's exhausting organizing, and I feel that. <laughs> and, and because it feels like we're up against so much sometimes uh, that it would just be easier to, like, 
get do what everybody else has done before us. Get the fuck out of the industry and never look back. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't blame anyone for not taking action either. Cause you're right. It's terrifying. And I know because I'm like deep in it, you know, but, um, I remember the other thing I was going to, that you had said that I wanted to touch on, which is, um, you mentioned that you didn't have a lot of community and, um, you, that's in Vegas. You were working in Vegas when you had that sense perhaps. Yeah. And I was just talking to someone recently about Vegas and how it's so different from other states and cities um, and she's going to be an upcoming guest and we're going to really break down the difference between Vegas and other places because here in California I definitely felt like I had a community but and when I did work in Vegas because I did work there for three and a half years it did not feel that. Mm. Yeah. yeah Vegas is this whole it's a fucking it's a machine like and and that sense of um that sense of oppression and and intimidation and extortion that happens like everywhere is almost like threefold here because the clubs are so massive and because uh the women are transient you know like most of the people who work in Vegas don't live in Vegas and and it's get in and get out and get your money and just like go home and go back to your life. And, and yeah, sometimes it's easier to not like stew in like what's actually happening at the clubs if you don't live in the city where it's happening. Uh, and I say this from experience because I, my first three years was like on the road and I never spent more than a couple of months at one club. Uh, and so any of the things that, that ever happened that weren't, you know, the greatest, I could easily just put behind me once I was like on the road again. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't that what we always did? Oh, this club is fucked up for all these reasons. I'll just go over here, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Vegas is, uh, Yeah, it's a a weird place for stripping, I guess, when you really break it down. And and the sense of, like, intimidation is... is Oh, it's crazy. Extraordinary here. And then, like, the the way the taxi drivers and, like, the the clubs are all, like, in cahoots with each other. Like, the taxi drivers are such a huge um, facilitator for the strip clubs. It's insane how interconnected those two industries are in Vegas. Yep. Yeah. Like Uber drivers probably make more than I do some nights. Oh, 100% they make more than we do. <laughs> There's a problem with it. I, yeah, I mean, if uh, little tip, if you want to make a hell of money, be a taxi driver in Vegas. Those fools make so much money. So much money. Yeah. What? It's $20 a head every time they bring someone to a strip club. More. Some clubs up to $40 a person now. Uh, pfft. Maybe even more than that, honestly, like depending on what, yeah, depending on the season. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Um, so gosh, you, you're so awesome, man. You're just the coolest Val. I just got to tell you, um, you have a new business now. So you, you were forced into early retirement. I'm assuming that's from COVID. Mm-hmm. Still, so you opened a new business, but you were still dancing at the same time. Yeah, I, I opened, uh, I started Paradise City Creamery, uh, officially we launched May 2019, but I had been working on it since 2017, and 
I, by like 2018, I was ready to phase out of stripping, but not like forever. I never really wanted to say I was retired. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. I was like, fuck that. I want to be like 60, still grabbing my clear heels if I can, you know? And, um, yeah, COVID had other plans for me and, and yeah, there's, um, there's a lot that goes along with like being forced into retirement, as I'm sure you, you know, uh, as many of us are experiencing. Yeah. Uh, but one thing it did put into perspective and I'll touch on those things in a minute, but like one thing it did put into perspective was how much I was actually leaning on stripping, um, for comfort because I was good at it and I knew I could go in and make my money and, and there's something like, and there's something very humbling and intimidating about being a newbie again, being a baby stripper again in a new career. And yeah, being at the club was like, I was leaning on it a lot more than maybe I could have been because COVID showed me that if I just put all my eggs into one basket, right. And went for it. I could do so much more than what I was actually getting done with the business. Yeah. You, you chose ice cream for your business. Yeah. <laughs> well, and your marketing is like so, um, lush and sexy and edgy, you know? Yeah. So, um, it's like luxurious ice cream, like luxurious sexual edgy ice cream. That's <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Why did you, why ice cream, Valerie? Uh, it was it was something I was doing as a hobby. Uh, so e even throughout my my stripping career, I was um, always doing other creative endeavors. I, I did burlesque for a while, and that that gave me like this this great outlet for all the weird and wonderful shit that happens in my head. Uh, <laughs> and I because of the production value associated with it, so I could like build these amazing costumes and choreograph these acts and kind of have this outlet for all of this, right? And then when I decided to phase out of that, um, I was left with like this void, if you will. And uh, ice cream was just something for me to tinker around with when I had this time as a creative and know where to put that energy. Because at the same time, it was almost like now that I think of it, right? Uh, just like this divine timing. Uh, I was starting to realized that I had like severe gluten and dairy intolerances and I couldn't eat ice cream anywhere or dessert period like because most restaurants uh especially in Vegas don't give a shit if you have dairy or gluten anything they're just catering to like the overall right and so I was just like oh, I'll just start doing this um just kind of casually and like just to tinker around uh and then I got really good at it and then I was like well if I was ever going to start a business selling ice cream, what would that business look like? And it got me thinking. I was just like, shit, I spend so much time talking shit on the internet about how different of like a world I would love to see. And, and what if I could implement some of that into the structure of a business, like from the people I hire, right, to like, the other brands and businesses we uh, collaborate with to the organizations we donate to and, and really like tell a story about 
the world that I come from through this medium that is ice cream. And that, that is like the essence of the business. Yeah. I love that. And so, um, you, you're an out sex worker with a civilian business now. And so are, is, is, so basically what you've told me gives me more insight on like why it's important for you to be an out worker and this business owner or be an out sex worker and be a new business owner, because it's almost like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you're like recreating your story through this business to like sort of raise awareness and like normalize our work. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just, I'm like, fuck Vegas is, it's many things, but it's, you know, first and foremost built on the backs of sex workers and stripping is so much of that. And it is one of the four reasons why people come to this city and we influence and inspire so much here and we get none of the credit. And I just feel, I feel like I'm, I'm but one voice, but man, like it'd be cool to have like a little, little flag planted in the Vegas soil that like was for us and you know celebrated us in a way that no other businesses do here except for just take our money when it's time to buy new clothing or shoes or whatever the fuck it is yeah was there anything that you bumped up against uh during this process of like starting a new business as somebody that's out and loud and proud uh i what i'm really noticing um you know i don't I haven't experienced any like uh, outright hate. I've definitely had some trolls, uh, <laughs> as we all do, uh, on my like Google business and Yelp pages. Uh, but what I'm really experiencing is it's it's hard, uh, not hard. I would say it's it's difficult to have the press cover what I'm trying to do or what I am doing without like almost trying to structure it like some redemption tale of how ice cream saved me from this terrible life of stripping <laughs> and i'm just like oh my god are you fucking serious like yeah i think there's it's it's you know i already knew it was gonna happen but you really see how hard it is for people to digest us being these uh complex creatures who are capable of more than just one thing and yeah that that's probably the thing I'm I'm really working uh working uh out of right now it's just like can't you just let me tell my story and let people figure it out from themselves but no everybody needs like a 30 second soundbite that is perfect and like just hits the point like so dead on and I'm like well that's not real life yeah, they're really good at editing things to continue to perpetuate the narrative that they created ages ago. Mm-hmm. And it's like they're all in cahoots with each other. Like there's some written document floating around <laughs> that's like in agreement, you know. It, you know, that's basically like if you're in the media, make sure that you continue to perpetuate the stigma that strippers are uh, helpless and not, you know, da, da, da. and I'm so over it. I've been calling them out for so long now. Yeah. And we need more of that. Keep doing it, please. <laughs> I, I'm hoping I'm hoping one day it's like unless 
you know, I don't, I don't even know. I don't even know if, if somebody like Cardi B has escaped that, you know, I haven't read all her press, but it almost seems like unless you go into some other form of entertainment, uh, then, then you have to have some, some reason why you're doing this other thing, because you couldn't possibly be like going back into the civilian worlds, like for any other reason than, you know, you needed saving from this life. Good for you. You escaped. Yay. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. No fucking way. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's, that's, that's interesting. I, gosh, there's, they can be so disappointing. The media, so disappointing. Um, But thank you for the media at the same time, you know, uh, just like everything, I guess there's duality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, So what, so COVID, so you opened this new business and then COVID happened and you mentioned earlier that you were able to pivot. So um, how's that going for you? Uh, It's going pretty well, actually. Yeah. uh, Pivoting allowed us to see um, how we could bring in additional revenue streams that I wasn't considering before because the initial concept for the creamery was meant to be very hands on, so to speak, uh, interactive, built for like events and to have people like participating in a way that um, allowed them to kind of, you know, uh, I guess have more of an experience than you would versus, you know, when you just pick up an ice cream pint and take it home and eat it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but we, uh, we got really lucky. We were able to partner, uh, with this amazing wine bar in town and where it's located is in the heart of downtown and I live downtown. And so it, it almost, um, through COVID and, and just all of us, going through so much and experiencing a lot of this, a similar thing, right? It almost allowed us to connect directly with the community in a way that maybe we wouldn't have if we were still like going for these big events and, and like conventions and festivals and things like that. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. You're, so to explain to an audience who doesn't know and who haven't looked at your Instagram account, your, your ice cream is like, there's like colorful candies and crazy straws and what, so what, what's the, can you explain what makes your ice cream place more of an experience and difference than like me going to Cold Stone? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, the three the three magic words here are adult experiential ice cream, right? <laughs> and and that applies more to more than just the the branding and the sexy images of people licking it slowly which we have plenty of uh and that's very intentional (laughs) Uh, but it really applies to uh the experience of eating the ice cream and and how and how the ice cream is actually made and so we're not making flavors uh that you could pretty much get anywhere like a cold stone creamery isn't going to use white truffle or yeah exactly or um ingredients maybe like activated charcoal or that's kind of becoming trendy now but we have i like to build flavors that cater to an adult palate i i don't dislike children it's just that i don't come from a world that really deals a lot with them and so Ice cream, naturally, when you tell people, I started an ice cream business, they think you're going to be like, 
slinging it out to the kids at the park and it's like meh no actually it's more for like adults and their friends or their boo for date night and that kind of thing right and so we do this two ways one by the flavors like I mentioned right and like having uh using really exotic ingredients and things that you don't typically find in ice cream and then the other way is attention to details that you won't normally find so that comes from my my burlesque world and my costuming years where I just rhinestone the shit out of everything and made it extra as fuck all the time. And so I can't serve you just a regular waffle cone. It has to be hand painted gold and our cherries have to be glittering. And there has to be like this, these, these elements to it that really make you stop and appreciate like what's happening. Right. And, and almost like take your time and like, have a moment and and I think that makes people feel special like to know that we, we put that extra love and attention into it which makes it an experience yeah that's really nice that's really nice it's like art food like yeah. art food mm-hmm. but it's not love opulence right? yeah exactly that's a great word for it and that that's definitely something that I feel when I'm looking at it like um like I'm looking at Marie Antoinette's dessert yes thank you yeah that on my mail for you yeah exactly yeah and i can't wait to eat your ice cream man i can't wait yeah i have to come out there to eat it it's not that far it's only a four-hour drive i used to do it every weekend of my life back and forth back and forth every weekend back and forth (laughs) oh my god i I don't know how you like this the past the past part that kills me yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. You just get used to it, you know. Just, and I had like, I would do math with the road signs, you know, like to keep myself entertained. I would be like, okay, in the next 50 minutes, I'm going to go this many miles. And then I would do the math when I'd get to that many miles and like see what my timing was. That's how I would entertain myself on that drive. Uh, that's amazing to know that that's how your brain works. It's just, yeah, it was just to keep me stimulated. So I wouldn't fall asleep, you know, um, cause there's just nothing on that drive on the 15 between Los Angeles and Vegas. And, um, man, I saw some crazy stuff on that drive. I bet Can you do it enough times, see the gnarliest stuff. Um, yeah, I just love talking about working in Vegas cause I don't, I don't get to talk about it that much. Yeah. I, I feel you just like even, even being on, on your podcast right now and talking about stripping and things other than you know I love my business I love the creamery I'm obsessed with it but it's like man ever since COVID happened and it was forced into retirement it was just full-time ice cream all the time and it's really nice to like talk with you right now yeah thank you yeah I um I realized do you ever open Instagram and immediately get distracted you open it to do something right you work you open it and then you see like some really sexy babe on the pole and you just like get lost like stuck in a k-hole yes watching sexy babe uh-huh. right like we did at work and so i did that the other day and i'm like never ever will i tire of this never i swear i've been watching this for 20 years and i'm just never ever tired of it yeah it's so real yeah and it feels slightly obsessive you know well, there's some there's something about it too. Like once you've associated with the lifestyle and 
and the culture and have done the job too. It's just like, man, you, it, it's pride. I have so much pride when I, when I stop and see sexy babe on the pole, you know? Yeah. And I'm just like, yes. Yeah, I know. And, um, God, I just miss it so much. What do you miss about it? Like, do you have one thing particularly that you miss the most? I miss, um, I miss the moments where I made the room come alive on stage, where I knew that my energy was invoking emotion and like making people so stoked that they can't contain themselves and they just started screaming out loud. Like those moments, cause it's more about, oh, they're cheering for me. It was like, oh, I moved a group of people. Not, oh, I'm so great. It was like really understanding the power that one individual has to move a room of 100 or 200 people collectively at the same time, Mm -hmm. having them crescendo and excitement at the same time. There's like nothing like that. No. That's like rock star stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, man. That was so poetically put. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, and those are like, so I used to dance to The Only Time by Nine Inch Nails. And and I danced it very intentionally because it says, this is the only time I really feel alive. That's one of the the lines in the song. And man, I, I felt that, you know, on stage. Like true aliveness, you know. And I know that there's not all of us that feel that way. There are some that feel that way more than others on stage. And so I really like, I look for that. Like I look for that aliveness with the dancers um, because I, I just want to like soak in that, you know, and like in the, in the, that energy that's deep inside your chest, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That's like exploding. It just needs to explode. And the only way to truly get the energy out of your chest is to do the deepest, hottest back arch on stage. (laughs) (laughs) So good. You can just feel like the sexual energy is just being released from your body as you do it. And you just, oh, it's just so gratifying, right? Yeah. Oh man. I, I used to do this thing on stage. I really love playing with stillness on stage and like fluctuating between lots of movement and then just picking one person and like, especially if you have a high stage at your club and walking like right to the edge and just standing over them and looking down and then being so intentional about like the piece of clothing you remove or the way you squat down to get their money and just that vibration. It's like you're exactly what you're saying, you know? Just knowing it's like, yes, bitch, I got you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely like, yes, like zeroing in on somebody. Yeah, and just going to town. Yes, and I feel like that's lost in translation a lot. I don't think that unless you're actually a stripper that you like get that, you know, that that's a part of the job and then it's such a gratifying part. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Like real connection. Yeah. Yeah, that's something oh connecting and, and then how yeah, how um 
how complex that can be too. How you can like be so guarded in many ways on the job and be so open in other ways to have those like meaningful connections with people. I don't think no one will ever understand that, but another stripper, you know? You're right. Yeah, you're totally right. And it's, you just said it in a way where I'm like, oh, I never thought of it that way, where I'm like, you can't know like very certain things about me. However, I'll tell you shit that like most people in my life don't know, you know? <laughs> exactly. More complicated. Yeah. Um, so speaking of complicated things, <laughs> you're also an activist and advocate and you work with Swan, Nevada. Yeah. Um, yeah, and being an activist for sex workers is a big job, big task. So what what is your work like over there? What's what's Swan up to? We need to get fully updated on them. Uh yes, Swan. Okay, Swan, let me just break down the acronym real quick. Stands for the Sex Workers Alliance of Nevada. And uh what we're really focusing on right now is creating uh sanctuary spaces that uplift and connect other sex workers and provide resources when we can. Um, that is definitely looking a lot different during COVID than it was before. Uh, before COVID, we were really aiming to put together a lot of events that just connected us outside of the job, you know, or jobs, if you will, because we're sex workers from different factions of sex work. And we really, and then that really stemmed from wanting to promote, um, you know, just more of what we were talking about earlier, like the, this pride and what we do and and maybe not not so much pride in a way where you you're like coming out of it with a pom pom going, yay, sex worker, yay, stripping, but just at least feeling like, yes, what I do is important work. And, you know, and it's nice to like feel less alone in like the fucking the civilian world and all its stigma coming at you. Right. And I and we like collectively uh, definitely have done like some, some really fun things, uh, putting together events. Uh, but also since COVID happened, we've really been working on like mutual aid and we've had some, uh, rent, rent raising parties and Amazing. yeah, just like figuring out how to be more available to those in need. Uh, and if any of us have it, we give it and just kind of I would say moving forward, you know, just tr trying to figure out how to get back to doing what we initially intended on doing, you know, it's, uh, we've, we've got other, other things happening too. There's definitely some legislative work, um, being, being done. Uh, That's great. and what's really cool is that because there are different sex workers from different factions of sex work, we all have, uh, we all have issues that are important to us um, and that we kind of individually take the lead on. So there are like different balls going at once, which is really nice. I think that really helps yeah. momentum in a lot of ways. So you don't have like an entire group of people focused on one thing at a time because sometimes that one thing isn't the most important thing for everyone. And so we're really, I, I, I'm really proud of Swan actually. We're super well organized in that way where we have our meetings uh, twice a month. Sometimes they're open, sometimes they're closed to members who are already in it. Uh, but for the open meetings, we encourage folks who just want to pop in and learn more and see what we do and what's available to them in terms of like resources, 
yeah and advocacy and that kind of thing I would love to come to one of those sometime yeah, I would love that. And then also when you're working on the legislation, is that state legislation? Or are you working on a federal level or both? Uh, both. I mean, there was a, do you know uh, the Woodhall Sexual Summit that happens in D.C.? That happens uh, once a year. And we had members go last year to kind of learn a lot about what other what other uh, sex worker advocacy groups were doing and yeah, came home with a lot of knowledge on how to how to apply um, just how to apply our energy and our efforts in a yeah. way that could that could get things done on a federal level. Great. Yeah. Like decrim. Yeah. Oh, oh, say it again. What? Um, and like <laughs> the Earn It Act. <laughs> yes, and and it's amazing because. I think the more we connect with other other groups out there, the powerful we, the more powerful we all become, right? And I've been, I've been fortunate to like sit in on other people's um, like Zoom calls and things throughout COVID. People who are in other cities and states, and just kind of learn like what are they doing, how are they doing it, and the, I think that's really cool. I'm super proud of sex workers as a whole, like in the organizing movement for. First of all, being as smart as we are, holy shit, there is so much intellect out there. And yeah, just like what we're able to harvest and kind of put together on our own. Yeah. It's impressive. Very much. Yeah. And there's so many times I'm like sitting in on these Zooms and I'm just like, wow, I need, where the fuck is my pen? Because I can't keep up. I need to take notes. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that shit. It's so good. Yeah, I'm consistently impressed. Consistently, like, wow, you're so incredibly intelligent, so smart, and you know so much stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, That's what gives Want to be fabulous just like these strippers? Pay attention. It's Stripper Tips. Okay. Uh... So my stripper tip would be, uh, and this is coming from a place of like taking uh, skills that we've learned on the job and being able to transfer, like transfer it to a civilian work, right? Uh, one of the things that I, I'm really stoked about that I think is essential is, is learning how to rebound quickly and keep moving. And I think, well, I know that is something I learned from stripping, being shut down hard by one customer who you thought was going to get you the bag for the night. And then all of a sudden you're like, what? No, what do you mean? Not even $120 dance? What the fuck? And like having to take all that like feeling of, you know, just frustration and just like, ugh, and move on within a matter of minutes to like the next person with a fresh face and a new game and then be able to get back like on it and then sell that room or get your money however you needed to get it you know what i'm saying like that is that is essential and that's what i learned at the club and that has served me so well in business outside the club so what was like what's something that you would do to like when you when that would happen when you would get you know, turned down and you just had to bounce back? Like what was, what would go through your head to help you overcome that moment? Good question. I would say, I would say it depends on the, it depends on the severity of the shutdown. (laughs) 
so some you know some folks you could just be like all right a couple of deep breaths and a walk around the room and then whatever and then some people you really got to take five minutes in the back drink a coffee or water and like tell yourself literally just be like okay I am not the sum of my earnings, right? Which is something that is really hard to detach ourselves from in any sales job. Uh, and, and really just kind of go over in your head all the things that make you great outside of this work and like put back into perspective and focus that you're this whole human being and that you're here, you know, essentially to make people feel good. You got to go back out there with the fresh energy that's going to help do that yeah thank you yeah that's actually one of the things that i think makes us so strong is that the continual like we're salespeople that continually hear no you know we hear no so much and um when you hear no that often you definitely develop thicker skin over time so something i mentioned before on this podcast is that i ask for 20 percent off at the grocery store in the checkout line sometimes just so that I can get turned down. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Got to keep it thick. Thick. Keep that skin thick. And, you know, they always say no. And, uh, and I'm fine. You know, I live. You know. Get ready for our rapid fire question round. It's time for four for one. First question. If it were currently possible to travel anywhere in space, how far would you go? Great question. Oh man, I okay. If if I were able to do it quickly, I'd go. I'd leave the galaxy. Yeah, but I wouldn't want to be gone for like fucking two thousand years. You don't want to be gone for two thousand years. Okay. Yeah. If I no, I don't. I don't. Yeah. I like if I were able to control the speed of light and how fast I could actually travel. Yeah, I would leave the galaxy. Okay tight same same. (laughs) (laughs) would you rather skydive or deep sea dive Ooh, i have skydived a couple times and it's wonderful but deep sea diving scares the fuck out of me so let's do that you're gonna deep sea dive because you're scared of it perfect Uh, yeah i also am hella terrified of deep sea diving (laughs) like what hence why i also have to do it um, if you could time travel, what era would you go to? Only, this is, okay, this is what comes first in my head, only because I remember reading about it in my early, mid-20s. <laughs> Please don't judge me. I feel like it's kind of cliche, but I remember reading about it and being so fascinated by this little, this little period of time that existed that was like just pure hedonism. Uh, Weimar Berlin, between what, World War One and World War Two. Okay. Yeah, it was just like this this pocket of a republic that came up in between the two wars, where, you know, the, the economy was good, people were stoked, there were no fucking rules, and weird shit was happening everywhere all the time, and it just looked like the most insane place and i would want to experience that that was in berlin in between the two world wars yeah weimar berlin weimar berlin Uh amazing i'm gonna look that up up. yes last one 
what is the most bonkers non-sexual thing a customer has ever said to you oh god <laughs> Ooh. um let's see great question oh man it's all of them it's a really hard one i'm like this is nine years of tequila drinking i gotta sift through <laughs> okay it's not bonkers i'm gonna have to kind of uh pivot a little with this um but it was something fascinating that i learned um we get a lot of military people in vegas right because we have a base and I met, I met for the first time, and I'm from Jersey, so excuse me if I say this wrong, but submariners or submariners, I'm not quite sure the pronunciation. I like submariners. Yeah, like the people who live on the submarine, and they go down, and they're there for a very long time, right? And so I learned that shit gets weird down there. And <laughs> well, I remember having this conversation with uh, a young man. I think he was in his early 20s. And he was telling me how there's a, there's like a, a whole, like a whole theater that the, the submariners like end up putting on for each other. And they like, and I thought there was something really beautiful about that. Like they have, because they're alone and they're down there for months at a time and there's nothing to do and there's no Wi-Fi, right? It's like they put on like productions and they sing or they dance and they act and they entertain each other. That is bonkers. I had, and, I had no idea. And I just love that so much. And I just remember having like this real moment of like, aw. Yeah, that is cool. I think that's bonkers. Submarine dudes put on theater shows for each other while they're under the ocean. Like, yeah. So they what? fucking don't go crazy. Like, yeah. So on our deep sea exploration, that's probably we're going to float by a fucking submarine. There's going to be a bunch of like, <laughs> in the windows. Exactly. exactly. And you're like, Amazing. I love how that full circle just now. Sick. Um, love the answers. Love this interview. Valerie, please tell everyone how we can find out more about you and follow you on all the things. Yes. Uh, okay, you can follow me personally, personally at Valerie Stunning on Instagram. Uh, I'm, on, I'm on Facebook with that too, but it's really just pushover from Instagram. So just follow me there. Uh, and if you're looking to get directly in touch with me, I do have to say this. Uh, DM is not the best way. Just send me an email, ValerieStunning at gmail.com. Uh, I can't promise I, I can get back to everyone, but I do my best. And I do like when people reach out and like, you know, share good vibes with me. That's really nice. Yeah, you inspire a lot of people. I'm sure you get reached out to often. I do get reached out to often. And you know what? Um, there's, it, it's a give and take. Like for the folks that feel like I'm inspiring to them, it is equally inspiring for me to like hear from people and to feel connected to others. And that yeah. gets, that gets me through some of this dark COVID shit. Definitely. I feel that. I feel that. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. And uh, for Paradise City Creamery, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. We're, we're tweeting now. Uh, <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> and eventually one day uh, we might be shipping things. We're not at the moment. So just add us as a destination if you don't live in Vegas uh, to come visit. Oh, shipping. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Maybe. Okay. Good to know. Thank you so much for your time and your knowledge and like sharing what's going on in your world. Really appreciate it. It was such, so good talking to you. Thank you for having me. It was, it was really cathartic. I, I needed to like talk to other strippers about stripper shit and I appreciate you so much. You're doing important work. And Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, I have so much inspiration to pull from, from people like you and from all of the people who listen to this show. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Make sure you continue to tune in and rate, review, and subscribe. Um, yeah, thank you so much, Valerie. I hope to talk to you again very soon. And I'd love to have you on again in the future because I plan on doing this for a while. So. I'm here for you whenever you need me. Awesome. All right, everyone. Have a great day out there. Thanks for listening. See you soon. We're now accepting four-for-one submissions from our listeners. You can send them in via Instagram at YesAStripperPodcast or on Twitter at YesAStripperPod. Make sure to follow all the things and email any questions or concerns to YesAStripperPodcast at gmail.com. Tune in every Wednesday. See you soon.